Ron and Anian. And GM is going all electric. Tell us about that. We are likely to see more change in the automobile over the next 10 to 15 years than we have seen since Henry Ford began mass producing the affordable tin list. You can't see it. It's electric. Car Doctor. Manual transmissions, if they do need to be rebuilt, can actually be more costly than an automatic transmission. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Ronnie and Andy and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions, whatever they might be. That's what this radio show is all about. And thanks for stopping by this hour. We appreciate you being here. We know you've got an awful lot of choices and uh, time. Everybody's got no time and things to do with their time other than listen to this radio show. And the fact that you're here tells me, well, you know what? I'll do my best to give you some information and hopefully teach you something. And um, I'm, I know I'll learn something in our conversations. I always do from you. And uh, we get to move forward. Um, a recent article, I was talking about it in a previous hour, about they're going to put autonomous vehicles on the streets of Manhattan in 2018. I was reading through it um, over the break there while we were waiting for the next hour to just magically appear on the airwaves here. Uh, article out of Detroit, out of it's appeared in the Bergen Record here in North Jersey. Autonomous vehicles are navigating the hills of Pittsburgh and the pitched avenues of San Francisco. They soon may be tested by the chaos of Manhattan, you think? Where pedestrians, taxis, buses, and bikers embark daily on an eternal quest to avoid impact. Cruise Automation, a San Francisco-based self-driving software company owned by GM, aims to begin testing in New York City early next year. GM and Cruise are applying to operate in New York under a new pilot program announced Tuesday by New York Governor Andrew, Andrew Cuomo. If approved, the test will mark the first time a fully self-driving vehicle will be allowed to operate in New York State. Cuomo said in a statement, Volkswagen's Audi brand and GM's Cadillac have also demonstrated semi-autonomous technology in Albany and New York City, but those systems weren't as advanced as the one developed by Cruise. You know, uh, this has to be a heck of an engineering challenge. How many times, having driven in New York, and if you've never driven in New York, uh, you know, uh, I've never driven in other major cities, but I've driven around different cities in the country. New York is an experience unto itself. It's unique. It's unique. It really is. And that that moment of impact when someone steps off the curb or the, 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 the people that run the red lights, which I know happens elsewhere, but there's an awful lot of unique scenarios in in New York City, and you wonder how that's going to be dealt with. The test vehicles will be electric Chevy Bolt equipped with cameras, radar sensors, and cruises software. It's New York City. They should also be equipped with a bat, a knife, and um, some protection tear gas to keep the rioters away. GM and Cruise currently have a fleet of 100 autonomous bolts, according to GM spokesman Patrick Sullivan. They're already operating in San Francisco, Phoenix, and the Detroit area. In New York, a small fleet of cars will operate in a five-square-mile area of lower Manhattan. They will always have an engineer behind the wheel and an observer in the front seat. 
Does that mean we're going to have company for dinner when we buy one of these cars? We're always going to have, you know, you, you buy a car, you're going to get an engineer and an observer. Um, Cruz and GM didn't say how many vehicles will be operating in New York. Cruz CEO Kyle Volk says the densely populated city of more than 8 million people will give the company more unusual. I love this line. We'll give the company more unusual situations to test software and accelerate the development of technology. Yeah, okay, we're going to accelerate the software, all right, because, um, you know, it's it's New York, man. There's there's nothing like it. Um, I remember the first time I ever parked in a parking garage in New York City. I was I was a young kid. I went to New York City and I parked in a parking garage. And I always kept change. It was, a matter of fact, it was the original Monte Carlo. All right, 72 Monte Carlo. This is back in the 70s. And I kept the change. Remember the door handle had a well? To close the door, there was like a you'd pull on the armrest, and there was that finger well that you would grab. I always kept my quarters and nickels in there because for those of you that were are old like me, you know we didn't have Easy Pass. You actually had to pay a quarter to go through the toll. That's how long ago this was—a quarter, fifty cents. I know people are going under a dollar to get across the bridge. Oh yeah, right. Everything was a quarter. The Garden State Parkway was a quarter forever. And I went into the parking garage, parked, came out, all the money was gone. Right. And I go to the attendant, I go, what happened to my money? He goes, dude, are you kidding me? It's New York. What do you expect? I said, yeah, you're right. I just, you know, silly me. I mean, why should I ask you for my money back? I mean, what what am I expecting, okay? Um, you know, it was five bucks, which at the time was a lot of money as a kid. But, uh, you know, it's it's New York, all right? So the education's going to prevail. You know, you wonder what you're going to see there and um, where that's going to go. I hey, to, we're uh, walking here. <laughs> yeah, we're walking here. I wanted to bring that up. The other thing I wanted to talk about and finish up was because, you know, cars are such an influence in our lives. And this is what makes me think that the autonomous vehicle idea may not make it short term. It may make it in 10 years once the baby boomers stop driving. And then again, maybe it's going to be what keeps the baby boomers driving. The article we got about a month ago from uh, Tony Emilio out in Chicago about um Baby boomers and their their dedication to cars. For baby boomer baby boomers, the automobile has always been a symbol of style and freedom. The generation of seventy six plus million born between forty six and sixty four, who were once in the back seat of their parents' station wagons, have determined what we drive for over half a century. See, and that's the part that nobody's talking about, because I don't know too many baby boomers, older folks, that are going to be comfortable with a self driving car. The millennials will be. Because they're happy to sit anywhere where they can just get where I got to go and just sit there and look at the phone and, and do what they want to do, texting and Facebooking and all the other nonsense. All right. Um, you know, I think if, if, if ISIS ever wanted to really take down the country, if they knocked down a few cell towers and the millennials couldn't communicate on their cell phones, my God, the world would be over. All right. It would just be one, two, three and done. Um, the article talks about those who didn't buy Mustangs bought muscle cars like Pontiac GTOs or went through hippie counterculture vehicles via Volkswagen Beetles and microbuses. They weren't going to be caught in station wagons. And that's true. The people in the 70s, these kids in the 70s, created the muscle car era by demanding those cars. They bought those kind of cars. All right. Iacocca was fired from Ford. The article continues in 1978, became CEO of Chrysler. And what did he do? He championed the minivan, of which I'm not really thrilled about. But did you ever stop to think, right, we don't need a station wagon? I remember the conversation. They talked with the CEOs and the engineers. Well, America has moved past station wagons. So what have we got now? We've got Suburbans. We've got Dodge Caravans. We've got minivans. We've basically got bigger, heavier, more expensive, 
more technology-laden vehicles in the form of SUVs and minivans and so forth. You know what? An eight-passenger Chevy wagon will get you there and do the job all day long, and it just it'll do what you're supposed to do, get you back and forth to work. But we've got to be stylish now. All right, we've got to spend more money than my first house in order to have a car. They're in their 70s now. The article continues, and they're they're very active. They're retiring. They're shifting to second careers and traveling, but want what they want a different way. They are very involved in grandchildren's lives. Boomers are shifting to compact crossovers as their vehicle of choice. Comfort and convenience features like heated seats, high-end audio systems, five-door utility, and frugal fuel economy come bundled in one appealing package. According to AAA, 80% of people in their 70s, I thought this was interesting, 80% of people in their 70s suffer from arthritis and inflammation that makes moving difficult, and that affects what kind of car they're going to drive and buy and operate. Anybody ever look at an autonomous vehicle? It's this low-slung, it looks, it, it's it's like sitting on top of a roller skate in a, with, on top of a bucket. It's It doesn't look like it's the easiest thing in the world to get in and out of. So, you know, where are they gearing this towards? Then again, the government doesn't want the old people to live anyway, so I guess we're going to, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, but that's, you know, we're not going to have health care systems, so therefore everybody will be gone and the young kids will be driving self-driving cars. You know, I've said this before. Cars. Don't if, as long as I could take over the, you know, you know take, take over the self-driving car with some of the places I go, with all the traveling I do, this would be a great for me to get some work done, take a little snooze on the way to Buffalo or something, and then, you know, get up, I'm almost there. Uh, but some of these transmitter sites, if you can't take control over this, my GPS, I have a site, it tells me, turn left here. And if I turn left here, I'm going to go 200 feet down a ravine because the driveway is 500 feet that way. Are self-driving cars, and I had this scary thought, are self-driving cars going to become the babysitters of the future? Could be. You put the kid in go to put grandma's. The kid, put the kid in, right? Lock the doors. Say, take the kid for a two-hour ride. And the kid disappears for two hours while mom's in the hairdresser. Okay? Scary I, thought, isn't scary it? Scary thought. You know, you wonder what's going to happen and how it's going to work out. But all Can I know is... Can we that with Tony? Uh, listen, all I know is last week I couldn't get a brake light switch for, for an 06 Hummer, and I couldn't get a brake light switch for an 88 Lincoln. And if we can't make something as simple as a brake light switch, I don't know how we're going to make a self-driving car so dependable and, and so reliable that it's going to work all the time to be seen, to be discussed further. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back to kick the garage doors wide open right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron and Andy the Car Doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Greg in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Greg, you're on with the Car Doctor. How can I help? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. I got a question for you. Two questions, if I can get two of them in. But, sure, go ahead. Uh, main question was on a 2006 Buick Rainier, okay. all-wheel drive. Okay. And this car typically runs in rear-wheel drive until it needs to lock up to all-wheel drive. Right. And it does not uh, lock up as fast as it should uh, into all-wheel drive. And I've been told that GM recommends... Changing the fluid three times in a row, driving 50 miles, uh, drain it, and do that for three times to help clean any impurities or dirt that might be in that transfer case. Right. One of the one of the things they've had a problem with is the way the clutches inside the transfer case apply as they age. And this calls for AutoTrack 2, which is a very specific GM fluid. AutoTrack 2, it's, it's a matter of fact, I was... 
the only place I've ever really found it is GM. I've never used Autotrack to it from anyone else. So whether it's something proprietary or nobody's ever really developed it, I don't know. But um, it's going to be Autotrack 2 out of GM. And I have heard this. There's also conversation about putting in an all-wheel drive and, um, you know, driving in figure eights to help scrub away some of the debris and then draining it. And, you know, you're trying to wake up the clutch friction material if there's anything left uh, short of having to pull the transfer case out and overhaul it. Um, They have also had some issues uh, is it making any noise, any grinding noises or anything like that? Uh, no grinding noises. Just when it locks up, you'll get a little bit of a clunk when you hear it lock up. Okay. There's one bulletin that talks about some problems within the clutch or within the transfer case from the uh, clutches themselves. Bulletin 0804-21001B. Uh, it's been out there. It's been out there a while. It's probably been out there the better part of seven, eight years. And they talk about some updated pieces and parts depending upon which transfer case this has. And, you know, that could be part of the issue, too. How many miles are on this, uh, Greg? Uh, 111,000. Yeah. Uh, you ever changed the transfer case fluid before? Uh, no. Okay. Not that I know of. All right. So yeah, you bought it used, I guess, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so a good place to start. And, you know, to to change the fluid in that manner, I have I've never done that. I have heard of it. Um, I can't argue with it. It makes sense to me. And, you know, it's just... It's just another step in the process of maintenance, and it wouldn't hurt to try. All right? The worst that's going to happen is you'll be out a couple of bucks in extra fluid, but, um, you know, cheaper than replacing the transfer case if that's what you can avoid. Okay. All right? So, and one last thing. Obviously, you know, before I started doing any of this, I would do a code scan just to see, you know, are there any fault codes in this vehicle? Keep in mind, a transfer case can set a fault code within itself, and there's likely a service four-wheel drive light in this vehicle for a fault system, but it may be something that's not enough of a problem. It may be pending. So, you know, again, you got a vehicle that's acting up, whether it's the transfer case doesn't engage or the engine doesn't feel right. A scan of all systems uh, is clearly in order on all these cars today, and it's not a bad idea to do, idea to do once every six months. All right, you had a second question. Okay, second question was, uh, a while back, uh, I used to have people call in and talk about the first car they they drove, and I would like to mention a type of transmission, if you'd like to take a guess what car that is. Go ahead. Uh, Fluid drive. Oh, I know this one. Um, uh, Is is this the 40s? Uh, 50s. Well, 40s and 50s. yeah. Yeah, 40s and 50s. Is this a Packard or a Hudson? No, it's not. Uh, Chrysler. Uh, you're in the right ball field. Yeah. Go ahead. Which was it? It was Kaiser? Uh, no. DeSoto. Yeah. 1950 okay. DeSoto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we played with one of those. A friend of mine had one of those in high school a, yeah. million, a million years ago. Well, uh, they had a unique shifting pattern. Uh, uh, three speed on the column, but actually where second gear uh, range would be is actually low range for them. And then when you put them in drive, uh, you use the clutch to shift them two things. But once you're in the drive position, it would drive as an automatic. It right. was quite a unique system. Y- you <laughs> not know, the best, but Not unique. the best. Well, yeah. And it's it, Unfortunately, you look back at all those cars and you realize the engineering and the technology that they gave us and, and, and what they created. Uh, you know, probably the str- one of the strangest automatic transmissions, if we want to call it that, that ever existed was on the old Volkswagens. And the very first automatic Volkswagen bugs, and it was just a single wire going back to a solenoid that helped shift the trans. 
and that wire always seems to manage to have found a way to break and it created all sorts of issues for the performance of the vehicle and um yeah you know what some some really neat and different engineering ideas have gone by the wayside it's a shame and when they look back at cars what they became a hundred years from now when they look at this radio show when somebody unearths this radio show a hundred years from now and you know listens to this and go what a lunatic this guy was uh, you know or what's he talking about it'll it'll be a very different world and um, it'll appear that the Soto transmission and that Volkswagen transmission will appear as strange to them as the blacksmith and you know the ways of the West are to us 150 years later as America expanded way back when in covered wagons. So um, anyway, appreciate the call there, Greg, and appreciate the questions and um, always, always fun conversation. So uh, you take good care. Yeah. Can you imagine? Have you have you tried or has anybody looked at or considered the fact of where the automobile came from? I always you know, you forget that I'm so busy working on them and trying to fix them that I forget where the inception of the automobile, you know, was to move America. It was to get us out of where we were. Um, I've said this before, that most Americans 100 years ago were born, raised, lived, and died within 50 square miles of uh, of the country. And the automobile allowed us to expand west. And, you know, the proof of that is, you know, look at, uh, you know, get in an airplane in New York City and fly to L.A. And when you get over the Great Plains, just look down. Imagine going over that in a covered wagon, all right? Clumpity, clumpity, thumpity, thumpity. And you, you realize, well, we're kind of spoiled now. Look at how different it is. Uh, I took the hot rod out this morning. Had to go to the chiropractor. The little Stanini in his home. I said, come on. Took the cover off a of black and we went out for a blast out in the hot rod. And, you know, here we are driving a 55 Chevy. And uh, Rachel said it best, we're going into an S-turn onto the on-ramp of the highway, and you kind of lean into the turn and hang on. She said, boy, people must have had abs of steel riding around in these things back in the 50s because you're always in a tense position trying to adjust for the speed and the way you're traveling. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm Ron and Annie in the car, Doctor, and I'll be back right after this. Don't go away. back. We're on the the car doctor. 855-560-9900 is the toll-free number. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We're on the air Saturday afternoons 2 to 4 p.m. on the network as we go out across this great country of ours and across the internet and around the world. But uh, 855-560-9900 will get you into queue and you can leave a message and we'll make it easy. It's painless. And, you know, we'll be able to talk to you about your car up here on radio. We'll call you back for the next live broadcast on Saturdays between 2 and 4 p.m. East Coast time. So uh, and keep in mind, if you get out to CarDoctorShow.com, there's podcasting there as well as you can get out to Facebook, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, and check out the page. And, uh, you know, I have to, I've been busy lately. I've got to get a couple of posts up. I've got a couple of things happen in the shop that uh, I want to get up there on the Facebook page so you can go out and look at those. Let's go over and talk to John Hartford, Connecticut, 99 Toyota Camry, and a stalling problem. Oh, good, something simple. Compared to the week I had, this will be simple. Go ahead, John. You're on with the car doctor. How can I help? Uh, I have the car two years, and since I purchased it, it's been acting up. Um, what happens is I'm driving along, say, 2,000 RPMs, and I'll, I'll, I'll feel a little miss in it. And if I come down to a stop, it'll stall, unless I keep it above 1,000 RPMs. So I replaced the idle air control valve, thought that might be it, 
and it didn't fix the problem. Okay. Um, and it's, it's acting up more lately. It's almost daily it's doing this now. All right. Um, let's take a look at, do you have any, do you have any means of a scan tool? Have you, you know, I'm sure you're going to tell me there's no check engine light on, but have you, have you scanned for codes? Do you have the ability to read data stream at all? What do we have to do to fix this? I have a code reader, but it's not reading any codes. Okay. Um, do you have the ability to read data stream? No. All right. Do you have a voltmeter? Yes. Okay. I want you to take a voltmeter, get over to the engine coolant temp sensor, which is located, uh, down around the, I believe on the driver's end of the cylinder head yep and you're gonna see a green black wire that green black wire fully warmed up that should read a half volt or less and it shouldn't fluctuate all right okay if it does fluctuate the sensor is likely bad or you want to check the ground leg and make sure it's got good positive connection uh, the other thing you can do is when you're hooked up with a voltmeter at the coolant temp sensor and you're reading that half volt gently the key operative here is gently Give it a tap. Give that sensor a tap. Yeah, a little screwdriver handle, you know, tap, tap, tap. Don't break it. And watch the voltmeter. Does it change? Coolant temp sensors on these cars are a critical input. If it loses coolant temp, and it's been known to happen quite often, where it will intermittently stall out, uh, or might even it might even run rough. Sometimes you'll get an idle surge, and, you know, sometimes it'll straighten out. But coolant temp sensors are probably the number one cause of what goes on with these. Now, you know, that's I'm making the assumption, you know, in dangerous word, you've you've looked over intake air hose, you've looked over for vacuum leaks, uh, you know, have you tried disconnecting EGR valve and driving it to see if that makes any difference? No, I haven't tried that. Um, EGR valve sticking on these were surely a problem. They had some issues with ignition coils, but generally ignition coil stuff would become more of a... Uh, how can I say it? It would become more of a, you know, it would be running rough. You'd be telling me about more of issues in wet weather or damp weather. Um, you know, secondary ignition would be breaking down. You know, the other thing to keep in mind is dirty throttle plate. How clean is the throttle plate? You know, I'm sh I'm guessing you've cleaned it because the fact that you changed the idle air control valve, I'm sure you went through the throttle valve or the throttle plate itself and it's clean. Yes? No? Yes. Yeah. I did. Yeah, kind of figured. Um, Let me mention this, Ron. Um, what I discovered maybe six months ago that if, if when this starts to happen and it's it's um, you know starting to cut back a little bit at at, at you know 2,000 RPMs, if I punch it and give it gas and let it accelerate up a little bit, that takes care of the problem. So you kind of clear it out. So yes. so does it feel like and uh, no no insult intended, John, but. Does it does it feel like if you were driving? You sound like you've been driving a while on an older car with a choke, as if the choke was stuck shut, and you've you've kind of floored it and pushed the excess fuel out and cleared the choke out. If the choke was stuck, you know, like remember the old days of a carburetor? Yeah, way back when. Um, so that's what makes me think. You know, do we have a rich running condition? Here's a case where, you know, what for all the trying you're going to do, you need a scan tool. You need something that'll read data stream. Because you okay. you've only got half the picture here, you've you've only got you know you've only got the ability to read codes, uh, but it doesn't sound like you've got the ability to look at data stream. And here's a case where, looking at some signal inputs, crank sensor signal, uh, fuel trim. Fuel trim is so critical on something like this that it'll it'll just really open up your eyes to a whole other world to be able to look at coolant temp. But then again, I've seen coolant temp sensors fail where the computer never picks it up because it happens so fast, the scan tool can't record it. It's just a momentary, and then it's gone. 
So Does that data stream thing have to be done while the while it's doing the problem? Not necessarily. Okay. So you ever get sick in your life? Yes. Okay. You ever been sick on Wednesday and you started to feel terrible on Monday? If they plug the scan tool in you on Monday, you think the computer would have known and said, hey, John's white blood count is up or down or sideways and something's coming, and then he's got the sniffles by Tuesday and by Wednesday he's sick? Yeah. That's sort of the idea of what a scan tool will do if, if, if you know what to look for. Okay. And, and that's why I think it's it's just that important. So, All right, sir. All right, thank you very much. All right, if you need me, I'm here. You give me a call. Good luck. You're very welcome. Um, yeah, that's, you know, that's, listen, uh, uh, one of the things I know about scan tools, one of the things I know about diagnosing, I don't wait until the car is broken to look at it. And when I have time in the shop, which granted doesn't happen a lot, but I kind of make time. I steal 15 minutes out of lunch. I've had too much to eat in my life anyway. And here comes the comment. Tom and I have noticed. Yes. Well, uh, there you go. Loved, loved by all, loved more by some. And uh, listen, by the way, before I go any further... You can say that after that lunch I got you today? Yes. Yeah, that was a good lunch. Very good. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. Bobcat's Barbecue in Ramsey yes. Main Street. I love yeah. it. Yeah, And that was really, by the way, we're off subject here, folks. We'll come back to this conversation in a minute. How crazy was it that the guy who works there and owns the place is the brother of... Eric Eric Dickinson, Hall of Fame running back Eric Dickinson. Yeah. And how crazy is it that you knew who that was? Yeah. Um I, I, you know, I, I was a fo- I played football in high school, and I followed college football as well as pro football. So I knew, like, I had a lot of favorite players. So I knew where they were from. So I right. knew their background. Yeah, yeah, I could tell. And the season the Giants are having, you're now doing well let with your go, time. Man. Yeah, um, let it go, man. Let it go. Okay. Take this next caller from Philadelphia, <laughs> so, man. Well, how about we? Um, what, is he an Eagles fan? How about we? Uh, <laughs> how about we pull over and take a pause? Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running any of the car doctor coming back right after this. Hope. Welcome back. We're on the Indian Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Leave a message. 24-7 phone number. If we're not on the air, we're here for you. Just uh, give us a call. And Director Tom, Producer Tom, Engineer Tom, Tom God will give you a call back during the week and uh, talk to you and put you in queue for the next live broadcast. Glenn in Philadelphia. How are you, sir? How can I help? Hi, Ron. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's going on? Uh, 2014 Acura RDX. I just want to hear your opinion on the reliability. Specifically, um, I was looking online about the uh, cylinder deactivation and maybe the transmission as being a weak link. And I just want to get your opinion on the car. I think the cylinder deactivation on all these vehicles, not just the Acuras, the GMs and, and some of the other car companies that are doing it, you know, it is the weak link. It's, it's, we're asking engine oil to do an awful lot. And to me, that's the key component. You know, it's funny. We've placed more stress and load on engine oil in the last five years than we did in the previous 45. And, yeah, I get it. Oil is made better, but we're asking an awful lot of it. I went to a class on variable valve timing uh, about a month ago, and the instructor, who has no axe to grind and no oil to sell and no car to represent, looked at us and he said, you know, there's, there's a couple of things oil does lubricating and lubrication is about number four or five on the list now, you know, in terms of what oil actually does, the way they use oil to control hydraulic circuits, the way they use oil to provide, you know, the cylinder displacement to drop a cylinder down and pick a cylinder back up, uh, you know, the way they allow the engine to spin faster, 
so that they can have start-stop technology. You know, lubrication's part of it, but it's not clearly not the only part of it. So the long and the short of it is, as much as everybody's going to grimace and argue with me, is I wouldn't, I wouldn't change oil based on an engine manufacturer's indicator if they tell me, yeah, change the oil once every 10 months every year. I'd laugh at them. I really would. I don't care what a laboratory tells me. I don't care what test results tell me. You can tell me I'm the most unscientific mechanic in the whole world. I'm going to tell you based on what I've seen for 43 years, and, and, and I've changed with the past 43 years. Uh, you know, it's I look at oil condition, uh, you know, quality, how it looks coming out, the color. I rub it between my thumb and forefinger, and, you know, it's I, I, I know what feels good and I know what feels bad. And I can trace those engines that feel bad that usually those are the ones that develop the oil leak. Usually those are the ones that somehow have an engine issue at the 120, 130,000 mile mark. Cars are made better. They take more abuse. All right. You can, if you're leasing a car, I'll tell you what, if you're leasing a car, I don't care if you ever change the oil. You'll probably get away with it for three years. I don't think it's going to matter. Because the manufacturer is, is stupid enough not to make you require to have to change the oil, which is something I think they should do. But they don't. But if you own a car, and, you know, cars are like kids. If you want to keep that kid past 18 years old, if you want to keep that car past the 100,000-mile mark, you better change the oil. And you better change it on a, on a, on a reasonable service interval. Uh, you know, if, if oil was so good that it can go such extreme distances then why did some of the oil companies come out with this one-year 15,000-mile and one-year and 12,000-mile oil? You know, is, yeah. it, is, it, is it that we saw the need? Do we have a problem? You know, I've got people telling me, well, I've gone 20,000 miles on my oil. Yeah? What kind of car was that? Well, it was the old car I had. I, I bought another one last year because I didn't like the color. Yeah, right. You know, they don't want to tell you about the engine failure that they had. So yeah. for what that Acura is doing in terms of technology, valve displacement, valve timing, cylinder deactivation, change the oil, brother. It's the cheapest thing you're going to do. All right? You know, have, have, have three less cups of coffee at Starbucks this year. All right? You'll be able to afford an extra oil change. No knock on Starbucks, but let's be reality. Is, 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 is a cup of chocolate mocha frappe, whatever it is, worth 12 bucks or whatever they get for it? You know, it's, it's a little over the top. So, um, you know. See, see? How do you like that? I answered that question, and I didn't get into an oil commercial about Pennzoil, because that's the other part of this. Right. If we we're going to talk about oil, you got to start with good stuff. I'd be using Pennzoil Platinum and Pennzoil Ultra Synthetic in it because, to me, that's the best stuff on the planet right now and has been for a while. Second question. Okay. Second question. Uh, the second part of that about the transmission. <laughs> uh, transmission on that, and real quick, I wanted to hear what you thought about the uh, 2014 Impala with the uh, six-cylinder. Um, I like the GM stuff. I think GM's come a long way back. I wouldn't own a GM. Uh, five, six years ago, I thought they were kind of, you know, bottom of the list. A lot of their technology was old. They were still coming off the 2008-2009 economic collapse. I think they've come a long way back. Again, I'm going to talk about cleanliness of oil, cleanliness of fluids, and just general maintenance. Uh, that's not based on Ron alone. And realize, the accurate comments are not based on Ron alone also. As you can imagine, as everyone can imagine, I know a few techs working in dealerships. And they all tell me the same thing in terms of how often they change their oil and what they do in maintenance. And, yeah, there's good product out there. You've just got to service it. As far as the transmission, I'm just amazed Honda can't get a transmission right after all these years. They, they still have their issues. They still require service and maintenance. You know, to me, the key to longevity out of, an, out of a Honda Trans, Honda Acura, same thing. To me, the longevity is you want to change the fluid every 30,000 miles, if not a little sooner. 
and just deal with it right. And, you know, people don't like hearing that, but that's the reality of it. It's a fairly straightforward wow. service. It's a drain and fill. It's not difficult to do. It's not expensive. But that trend just has its issues. Um, I'll yeah. tell you what. If you really want to get an education on it, find somebody you know in the wholesale used car business. Tell them you've got a Honda Odyssey or an Acura MDX with 100,000 miles on it. What's it worth? And they're going to ask you about the transmission every time. How's a trans shift? Trans give you any problems? Trans ever been serviced? They always bring it up. And that, that tells me what they're seeing. That's become an issue. So, you know what? Drive the car. Enjoy the car. It's a great car. Change the fluids. Um, and have a relationship with a mechanic that you can count on and not somebody standing behind a, a service counter that's trying to sell you everything under the sun to get more money so you can buy lawn furniture. Case closed. All right, brother? <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and uh, you take good care. I'm Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. Just found a great email that just seems to be timely with our last caller with regards to maintenance. Uh, this comes to us from Steve Brackett up there in Bath, Maine, good old Bath, Maine, and uh, Steve Brackett. They run, a, they run a grocery store up there, if I recall correctly, and uh, supposed to be um, supposed to be the place to be in Bath, Maine, and uh, more power to them family operation for many, many years. Hi, Ron. I'm running a few days behind on your podcast. Caught up today. Excellent, as always. Excellent segment on your GDI training and issues with oil change intervals. Well, this is about a month behind. The industry sure seems to have dumbed down the car-owning public into going by lights and oil life monitors. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, anybody ever read the owner's manual of their car where it says if the battery's ever disconnected, just revert to a standard oil drain interval and don't follow the oil life monitors until the car's had time to learn, again, what your driving habits are because they're so... So how critical is all this stuff? It makes you wonder. I've often said to folks, as much as I really like and agree with the science behind oil life monitors, people are the weak link. You know, that's true. I never thought of it. People are the weak link. Listen, that's what's wrong with society, people. Uh, the, the OELM does not know if you've used the highest quality oil and filter that money can buy or if you filled the crankcase with Crisco cooking oil. The OLM will still calculate the same way. You know, he's got a point here. Add to that, folks not opening the hood to even bother to check oil level on these potentially long drain intervals, just really a recipe for disaster. And now add to that the GDI issue. I agree with you. More is better on motor oil changes. A couple of attachments here, one on GDI and one on turbocharging. The other is about trans service and the filled for life line that new car dealerships are now giving. You've spoken about trans service issues before, but both of these articles made me think of you. Always enjoy your shows. Better get the hot rod out tonight. Not many days like this left in the Northeast. My GTO is coming out this evening, I think. Be safe, be safe, Steve Brackett, Bath, Maine. Good brother. Brother I've never met, but I consider him a brother. Good guy. Um, some excellent feedback. Always been a long-term listener to this show. Not just because of that. He's just a good guy. Um, sent me an article here. We're going to talk about this next week. Um, Matt Erickson, he's a technical manager, and he's got a magazine article here that talks about transmission service and maintenance. It sort of echoes what we're talking about here. And, you know, things like a 2017 Ford F-150 calls for a 150,000-mile transfluid service. At 150,000 miles, you probably need a transmission, and is that what you're looking for? We're going to cover that in next week's opener. Next week, we're also giving away a launch scan tool. you got to tune in to get it. Till then, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.